Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. And now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Well, hello, everybody. I, a uh, little bit of an odd uh, odd thing because I taught this two weeks ago, yet I'm teaching this today. So um, for those of you that are checking in, God bless you. Um, but I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to wrap up the, the book of Ecclesiastes today and I didn't want to do it last Monday cause I wanted to start my vacation with my family. Uh, before we get into this though, uh, what a great job John did on Sunday, huh? Uh, John Van Leeuwen filled in for us, uh, and he taught through John 17, which was awesome. Um, it was very evangelistic. Uh, it, it was wonderful. And I, I love, I love the fact that I can, when the time comes, take a step back, and we have very capable people, uh, gifted, godly people, that can fill in the the pulpit when I'm gone. Um, so that, that was that was such a blessing for me to come and just sit and enjoy, not have to do anything really, <laughs> just be be one of you guys. So what a blessing. Um, so with that, welcome to B sides. Uh, we're gonna. We're going to look at uh, the Ecclesiastes chapter 11 through 7, uh, verse 7, uh, all the way to the end of the book, chapter 12, verse 14. Uh, and I want to catch some some themes along the way. Uh, this isn't necessarily a verse by verse. There's just too much there. But I'm going to pick out some things that I really liked that I wanted to share uh, on Sunday uh, that I didn't have time for. So let's, let's jump right into Ecclesiastes 11, uh, verse uh, 7 here. <clears throat> light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes but to see the sun so if a person lives many years let him rejoice in them all let him remember that the days of darkness will be many all that comes is vanity let's pray god we we love you we we praise you we we thank you we thank you for all that you've provided we thank you for your word we we thank you for your, your your messengers. We thank you for the life of Solomon, God. All of this is a gift from you, and so thank you. Bless this time. Um, make it fruitful in our lives, we pray, and in Jesus' name, amen. What a strong verse to me, <laughs> because I think we all know people like this. You, you know someone who's always, the expression is, hemming and hawing over some trouble in their life. Uh, there, there's a nickname, Debbie Downer. You know, there, there are, you know, people like this. Every time you talk to them, it's like, well, <laughs> they're, they're getting into to something uh, negative that's happening, no matter the year, no matter the season, no matter the time, no matter the place. Christmas is a reminder of the things they've lost. Summer's a summer's terrible their work's always bad they can't they're always fighting with some there's always something going on now of course there's a sense that people can be in a bad place and in a bad season or in a horrible situation or dealing with a reoccurring struggle and the church us me all of us should minister to them but there also comes a time there also comes a time where perpetual sorrow becomes sinful. 
It becomes inappropriate. You know, there are so many commands in Scripture for the believer to be joyful. The Scripture says rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Paul says, and this is this is universal that to be that the Christian is to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We are to be a people of joy. So. If you or someone you know is one of those people who are inclined to misery, to maybe it's melancholy, maybe they struggle with depression, or or maybe they just like the attention of being down. Some people love being victims all the time, victims of their health, victims of their work. And not that those things aren't difficult, but some people feed off of that emotion of it. It's almost the drama of it. Uh, If you know people, very much these kinds of people very much like someone who has anger <laughs> and they're always ready to blow or lust. Uh, you have people that struggle with lust or, or jealousy problems. This is this constant perpetual misery. <laughs> this is something that you or they, they we, we need to fight against with the truth of the gospel, God's people cannot be given to this all the time. Again, not that it's wrong to be sorrowful, and there are plenty of reasons to be sorrowful, but also remind yourself that Christians are to bring the good news of great joy to all the nations. So there's also a need, not only that, it's a command in Scripture, there needs to be evidences of joy in your life and speech, and we are to fight for joy. And so if you're the sort of person who's constantly working yourself down, you have to push against that. Again, it's not that you can't have times of sorrow. Of course not, but... But you should fight vehemently, as someone would with an anger problem, to not let that be your base emotion. If you're a believer, you have the good news of great joy. Let there be great joy. Let let the good news win out in your emotion, you know, as much as you can. And then verse 9 goes on to say, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Really interesting. So Solomon says, walk in the ways of your heart. You know what another way of saying that is? Follow your heart. You ever hear someone give that advice? Follow your heart. Now, Solomon adds a little clause here, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So what does this mean? Because the advice, follow your heart, is very problematic to me, to me. Uh, If you're a thief and someone says, follow your heart, you're going to steal something. If you're a person with rage and, you know, the advice is follow your heart, you know, that's when you want to ram someone off the road when you're driving. But remember the context here is joy and enjoying wisdom, enjoying life. What Solomon is saying is go and enjoy. If something looks fun to you, it looks profitable to you, try it. But remember that God will then bring all these things into judgment. Solomon is telling us to be free. 
Don't be handcuffed by legalism. Don't be handcuffed by rules. Remember, he's gone through this whole book telling us of the things that he's tried. And it's not that they were uselessness or hopelessness or sinful. It's good that he built up Jerusalem. It's good that he had a big family. It's good that he did lots of these things. Uh, not that he was perfect. He's far from perfect. But, um, you know, we need to be free to explore the things we want to explore. You know, I... I uh, just someone who comes to my mind is like, you know, Jill Glorioso. I love, I love the Gloriosos and she loves to paint, you know, and she paints to the glory of God. Like that's a awesome thing. You know, we need to go and be able to explore and enjoy things. Uh, uh, you know, I love civil war history. Sometimes I just sit and study civil war history. It's good. It's good to go and enjoy life, but while also keeping in mind that when we cross a boundary, the sin will be judged. So Solomon is pointing out to enjoy, 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 while also refraining from sin. And not to live a life at the same time so afraid of sin that we don't live in the first place or enjoy. Again, this is Luther's advice. You know, he came from a very legalistic background. And it was suffocating his faith. And often he found himself, not that he was perfect, he was far from it, but he often found himself giving the advice to people to go and enjoy God. Go and enjoy the things that he has provided. If you're healthy, go play sports. If, if you have friends, go to the pub. Uh, go eat a meal. Go laugh. Go be silly. Uh, you know, go, go have, make jokes and play and, and enjoy your wife and all, all these things. Again, we need to, as Christians, not be so afraid to sin that we stop living. We need to live, but then also to be aware that if we cross a line, so for example, let's just use Solomon three times has told us to eat and drink. He means wine. He means beer, alcohol. Uh, but at some point, that drinking turns into drunkenness, and now it's a sin. So we need to, okay, well, Solomon said drink, glug, 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 glug. No, <laughs> it's do it with wisdom and obviously keeping away from sin, but enjoying life and not being afraid to enjoy things is what he's getting at. Be youthful, be exploratory, try these things. If you want, if you like hiking, go hiking to the glory of God. Just enjoy what dad has created. Uh, is what he's getting at. Uh, and then verse 10, he says, remove vexation from your heart and put, a, put away pain from your body for you and the dawn of life are vanity. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also the, uh, your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. He means your teeth. <laughs> and those who look through the windows are dimmed uh, and the doors on the street are shut. And when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises uh, up at the sound of a bird and the daughter of a song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and 
tares are in the way and the almond tree blossoms the grasshopper drags itself along and desires fail they didn't have blue pills back then <laughs> because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bow is bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to god who gave it vanities of vanities says the preacher all is vanity in the bible when god and biblical authors want to emphasize something they, they will write the word twice well, here in Ecclesiastes, we don't have that Greek word for, for vanity, which I render as vapor, um, which is most literally vapor in English, but in, in the Hebrew, it's havel. And what we don't have here, it, it, we don't have a singular havel here. We have two. We have havel, havel. And the point is Solomon is pointing to the absolute vapor that is life. He He's stating this boldly boldly that life under the sun is not a kind of vapor or a partial vapor but is vapor vapor <laughs> he he's stating this emphatically and then verse 9 being uh beside being wise the preacher also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd my son be aware of anything beyond these are making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The end. I don't know if you guys can hear that. They're doing construction behind my house. And I literally am looking at a bobcat outside of my window. So, sorry if there's a little ruckus. On um, on Sunday, I talked about how Jesus both preached and added a new layer of depth to the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, what we did not have time for, however, was that Jesus did not just teach the themes of Ecclesiastes. He also lived them. Well, that's my dad. He also lived them. You see, the Pharisees were living a life of foolishness. They were toiling under the sun. They were trying to control the vapor. And then Jesus Christ came. And, and what did he do that was so shocking to them? <laughs> he enjoyed everything that the Father gave him. And this was scandalous to the Pharisees scandalous that they looked at how much joy jesus had and it was shocking to them you know have you noticed when you study the life of jesus how often jesus is at a dinner table <laughs> 
Have you noticed how often he's drinking wine or Luke 7 accused of being a drunk? In fact, that spilled over to the disciples. They thought, well, they must be drunk too. And one of the things that we have to recognize is that Jesus was living a life of wisdom. He was living out Ecclesiastes. Now, of course, there is such a thing as gluttonous, gluttony. There is such a thing as drunkenness. And, and what we have to realize is that a Pharisee, someone who's legalistic, there is no balance. There is no balance. It's not. It's not that, well, drunkenness is bad. It then becomes all alcohol is bad. And it's like, well, that's just not biblical. You know, I, I, to give you guys a little bit about me, um, I used to not drink any alcohol, like at all. Uh, and I actually became very convicted about it because of the scriptures. Uh, because it's almost as if Jesus encourages it, if, if you can do it in a, in a right way, in a healthy way. Um, I, I felt convicted that I wasn't drinking, quite frankly. Um, you know, and I, you know, obviously don't drink the drunk at all uh, or, or drink much. But again, you know, what, what we see here is that legalism says, no, this is wrong. This is, and they make these things called hedge laws. And, and the point is, they go too far. This goes too far. Now, there is such a thing as gluttony, and there is such a thing as uh, drunkenness, but that doesn't mean all feasting is bad, and that doesn't mean all alcohol is bad. Of course not. And, and, and there is a point, of course, where celebration goes wrong, too, um, because what we don't want to do on the other side of this is say, okay, God has freed me. He has provided. I am to enjoy all that he has provided me. That's great. But we can we can also then, so we don't want to be a legalist and go, no, we must be serious all the time. But there's a balance. We don't want to go then so far towards celebration that we miss the, some of the other matters of, of the scripture. So a warning to this is a story of Lazarus and the rich man. Remember, the rich man every day held a feast and feasted sumptuously. And where was Lazarus? Poor Lazarus. He was laid at the rich man's gate, listening to the celebration day after day after day. Now, was his feasting and celebration of all that God had provided a good thing? No. He was a fool. He was a fool who was thrown into the into Hades. And why? Because he he wasn't he was really ultimately selfish. It was about him. So there's context to our feasting, but we also need to make sure that we're not spending, spending, spending on ourselves and not worried about those who have nothing. So there's a balance to these things and we need to be generous and we need to be giving. And if we're holding feasts, Jesus is very clear about this. Invite people who can't pay you back. But, but the point is that when the father provided food, and drink and fellowship and laughter and joy in the life of Jesus, he took it. He took, there were many times where Jesus went hungry. There were many times where Jesus was exhausted. But then there were seasons where God had provided rest. There were seasons where God, uh, for example, he had a pillow <laughs> when he was on that boat in the storm. And he took that pillow and went right to sleep. It was a provision from God. Uh, and there were times where Jesus had food and he enjoyed it. So Jesus knew from the very beginning, <laughs> as we think about the life of Jesus, he knew from the very beginning that he was going to die a very brutal death. 
And question, does that stop Jesus from then living? From a living life, from enjoying people, from enjoying food, enjoying drink? Of course not. Then there's something called the tyranny of the weaker brother. There were the Pharisees who looked, you know, we we see in Timothy, don't do anything to stumble your brother. And that's true. We don't want to stumble uh, anybody. But but at the same time, it's not the obligation of, of the mature to necessarily bend to the will of the weaker. It's the job of the weaker to then learn the ways of the, of, of the mature. And, and again, you know, if, if I'm going to grab dinner with an alcoholic, I'm not going to order, uh, you know, a beer. <laughs> we're we're going to have a cheeseburger and talk and there will be no alcohol. Of course not. But But Jesus knew that the Pharisees were going to look at what he did as gluttonous and reckless. And did that stop him? Of course not. Jesus celebrated constantly. Uh, And again, this was because the Father had seasons where he provided things to Jesus. And for Jesus, he would rather have people misconstrued his behavior and be grateful to God than to take the gifts that God had given him and push them aside so that he could come under the tyranny of the weaker, the legalist there. You know, Jesus was sent into the world, John 3, 16, by a giver. And, and, and while Jesus was on earth, this is what he did. He, he continued that. He gave. He created wine. He multiplied fish and bread. He restored limbs and eyesight and stopped bleeding and casted out demons. And Jesus was a giver. And around his table, the Christian the Christians celebrated and enjoyed and took delight in everything Jesus and the Father provided. And so, as we look at the life of Christ, this is what we see. Jesus enjoyed the provisions of God. And then he also became an extension of the Father as he gave provisions to man. He was the God of Solomon, he shows us, as he provides food and drink to his people. Uh, and so there's some strong claims there. Um, and, you know, thinking again about the tyranny of the weaker brother, you know, how, how wrong would it be, you know, if, if Jesus made fish, made bread, made wine for these people, and they said, oh, no, 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 we, we, I don't want anyone to think I'm a glutton. <laughs> they would miss the whole point. God provided that as a gift to enjoy. Uh, and, and Jesus modeled that not only as God as he made these things for man, but he, but in his humanity, he modeled how to receive it from the Father. And it was with gratefulness and with joy and enjoyed these things. So I want to close with two quick points on this. First, <laughs> loved ones, this is how Jesus advanced the gospel. By receiving from the Father, often then sharing, and then enjoying it publicly. And this is the believer's job also. When Jesus Christ has given us eternal life, and we advance the gospel and the good news by receiving with joy and then enjoying it publicly. You know, I really believe this is one of the lost aspects of evangelism in the modern church. Gratitude. (laughs) 
Solomon lays out plain as day that as we come to the knowledge of the glory of God, that Jesus, that, or that, that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that he is on the throne and we are not, we will increase in joy. And the New Testament tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So here's what I think we can connect and, and build upon the book of Ecclesiastes as we start to wrap this up. The rank and file of God's army storms the gates of hell with a, a much greater intensity when we do it with joy. <laughs> we are far more effective in our evangelism and witness when we start from a place of gratitude. You know, this wisdom from Solomon, shown and enhanced by Jesus, is not just the path to enjoying life. It is also the path to effective witnessing. Joyful people are more effective for the kingdom of God. Again, it's not that we can't be sorrowful. There's always some sorrow in our life. There's always something wrong. But we are also to always be rejoicing at the hope that's within us. And Jesus knew this. He saw this. There's a reason why people were drawn to him, not just because he spoke and their hearts burned within them, as we, we read, but he also, it very clearly seems to indicate that Jesus was a good time. He was someone who made people feel good. He was someone who people wanted to sit at their ta at his table and enjoy you know, you see John uh, at the Last Supper, and he's laying on Jesus. They were just enjoying each other. There wasn't Jesus with a halo around him. Let me tell you, my children. You know, there was, there was intimacy. There was fellowship. There was fun. Uh, secondly, and, and as a personal note, and I normally don't do this kind of stuff, but I, I think it's appropriate. As I think about my context within the book of Ecclesiastes, I, I think about where I am as a father of two little kids. And the book of Ecclesiastes reminds me, it, it, it reinforces to me that I should enjoy them while I have them. To, to sop up every ounce of their being three and five years old. You know, one of the great ironies of life is that men and women are, are, are given children by God at a time when they are at their busiest. It is in your youth that you need to study and learn your trade and buy a house and learn your way and set up your future and care for your parents. And, and, and he, here's a trap in this fallen world. The, the trap is to get so caught up in the work that we, that I forget to enjoy them while I have them. You know, Solomon has been re reminding me personally as I, as I study this book over the last few weeks to not be a Martha, <laughs> to not get so caught up in doing and serving and duty that I stop, that I, that I don't stop and enjoy God's provisions. Namely, my, my children and my wife. And, and this, this is true with every area of our life. Ecclesiastes speaks to us for, at, at every season, every single season, that when you're in your 40s and 50s and established and full of health, enjoy it. 
When you're a grandparent, enjoy it. When you're retired, enjoy it. For this is what the wise do. They stop trying to control all the things that they can't control. They stop trying to grab the vapor and then just enjoy the provisions of God while he provides them. If God is on the throne and he gives us good gifts, then the appropriate response as God's people, as is even modeled in the life of Jesus Christ, is to say thank you and enjoy them while you have them. And and the beauty of this is as we enjoy the gifts of God while he provides them, he then uses this. He then uses this to advance the gospel in our lives. That as I play with my children day in and day out, they're going to remember. Dad was a godly man. It's going to leave an impact. That when I bring people out to lunch, we grab a coffee and we sit and we talk and it's fun. God uses that for his glory. Now, the sinful part is I got to make sure I'm not campaigning for me. Well, I was awesome. (laughs) No, you know, as Paul would say, whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. But as we are celebrating and are grateful to the glory of God, he will use it you know really good piece of 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 advice on how to be an effective evangelist be normal and have fun (laughs) just enjoy god publicly and watch what he does he will open doors you can't even imagine so with that let's close and uh, wrap up this book and pray god we love you we praise you we thank you we ask for a wonderful um a day today, we ask for a wonderful week. We ask that you would be with those within our church that are sick and hurting. We ask that you would be with those um, who, who are sorrowful. God, we ask that you may pick them up out of the swamp of despondency and, and, and may give them a, but a vision of the celestial city. As uh, John Van Leuven taught uh, that they may have a vision of heaven and just how much Christ wants us home. And so be with us now, bless us now, use us now, and help us to celebrate boldly for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you all so much. Well, I better get rolling. (laughs) I'll see you Sunday. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.